Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. This Spiritual Fix presents TSM Shorts. A potluck of preludes between episodes. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to our second TSF Short Between the Episodes. Today we are talking about plants, the secret life of plants, everything plants. We're obsessed with plants. Enjoy. Hey, Christina. Hi, Anna. It's our second TSF short where we're just going to talk about some stuff unrelated to the season and unrelated to shadow work or light work, just topics, just topics, things that we're interested in, things that we're doing. Yeah. 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 So how are you? I am good. I am. I've been planting in my garden all week. And so have you, haven't you? Like for not not just a week, like weeks. (laughs) weeks <laughs> weeks Anna's gonna have a flower sanctuary in her yard and I'm so excited to see it I know my goal is to be able to walk outside with a pair of clippers any day of the week and and clip a bouquet from my home I think it's gonna happen and and I have vegetables and things growing that are functional too not just aesthetic yeah. but that's the goal it's fun I have um peonies the size of teacups and this year I'll probably only have 20 or 30 blooms, but in like three or four years, I think I'll have between 400 and 600. Wow. So it's just going to become crazy over here in a great way. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to be working on my last thing, uh, which is that I planted out my half acre. Your not- garden is insanely huge. It's so big. It's so big. And it has mulch on like every single square inch of it now. Cause I learned that last year that like, I mean, I know that anyway, but I actually got the mulch and moved it into place this year, but it's really big and it's really beautiful and I really love it. And my last thing I need to do is I'm making a tunnel. I have a bunch of like fencing basically that I'm going to make a tunnel for and basically create a acorn squash, squash bean tunnel so that you're walking through it and the heavy fruit falls down That's into the so thing. Cool. Itself, how, so. how long, how big? like long will it be? I think it'll be about 15 feet long, something like that. That's going to be so cool. How are you going to use like chicken wire? What are you going to do? I have, I have, I have hog panels because I got hogs. So we have extra hog panel (laughs) that I'm going to use. Okay. Amazing. And I have one more thing left to do. I'm just waiting. Lowe's says it's not ready yet. Is to go pick up copper wire because I'm going to be doing some electroculture. Yay! Which I love because I feel like I love how you were just like super onto that. I've been trying to do electroculture for the longest time and it finally showed up on one of my feeds as like an easy way you could do it because I kind of thought it was more complicated. 
and you're just like, I, and I'm running with it and you're running with it. Please. Yeah. Tell us. So tell us I got um, it. So the, the simple, first of all, if you go on TikTok and you write electroculture before and after, you can see like before and afters of people who have gardens before and after they introduce magnetism or electrotherapy to their plants. And it's really fascinating and it makes sense. And I just thought it will be fun anyways. And, and it's, it's extremely cheap. Like I think I bought 10 feet of copper wire for $5 at Lowe's. And this is not an ad for Lowe's. And then you just wind it onto wooden sticks. I'm going to use some wooden dowels for the front yard so that it looks quote unquote nice. But then for the garden in the back, I'm just going to attach it onto sticks because it won't be seen. But basically that's one way you can do it. I'm quoting the electro culture and magnetoculture.com website. Electroculture is a group of techniques that uses electricity and magnetism to assist plant growth. Plants are sensitive to electricity and magnetism. Improved plant growth quality and increased yields are some of the noticeable effects. The technology can also be used to protect plants from pests and diseases. And going further, magnetoculture refers more specifically to magnetic influences to help with plant growth and soil fertility. And if you remember in previous episodes, we've talked a lot about earthing, grounding. I use a PMEF mat um, for grounding or walking barefoot in the forest. Like there's different ways to get in touch with nature. So this is a way of like kind of returning your, your yard or your garden into a more optimal magnetic and electrical, electrical magnetic field. Because I guess with you know, Wi-Fi and 5G and pollutants and God knows what else out there that we can't see or taste. Like, why not enhance it? And and really and truly, I'm just doing it because I think it looks fun and it looks witchy. And I'm like, I want to put copper rods in my yard. So yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I think I think in my head the way that I think that it works is that like the sun is very, has a very strong field, obviously. Like it has a lot of like, I mean, God, we could, we're not even going to go into orgone and all the possibilities of like what people call different levels of pseudoscience or real science or whatever you want to call it. But by, by doing electroculture, by basically creating this coil, it's like basically kind of like almost like a Tesla coil, but you're creating a field that protects the plants from the more harsh environment of, like Anna was saying, of not just the the of of the atmospheric environment, also the sun, because the sun can like really burn and be harsh on plants, and and depending on where you are and like what's in your environment, it can be more or less things. So you're basically almost like creating a blanket magnet magnetic field as like an extra added layer of protection, and they just love it, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is coming from the SimoneGatto.net website, where it has like a lot of do-it-yourself ideas. In Italy, the pioneer of electroculture is Andrea, Den- who uses conductive materials to create these spirals. So you can create these these spirals. Basically, you're creating spirals out of different metals. And in 1934, this guy named Justin Cristoflo created this system that he called the lightning arrestor, and it's very tall and it's a very tall antenna that he would connect to orchards vineyards and it would create it would supposedly conduct cosmic energy directly towards plants a lot of these are looking like spirals basically getting a piece of wire and wrapping it around a a a cylindrical but triangular what's that shape it's like a cone 
like a uh, cone, like a traffic yeah, cone. Like a cone. Yeah, like a traffic yeah, cone. like wrapping wire around something in the shape of a cone and then taking the wire off of it. And you have this like upward spiral, right? Pyramidal, mm-hmm. pyramid, pyramidal looking thing. There's also something called the pyramid of Cheops, which a lot of people talk about the, you know, the four sided pyramid, you know, if you look at Egyptian pyramids, yeah. Tetrahedrons. There's a lot of sacred geometry in that and like how beneficial that is for us. Some people will even put their food or their water bottles under one of these and you can buy them on Amazon, these, these pyramids to conduct, to conduct chi or enhance chi flow. You can make them out of copper to put in your garden. So I thought that was really interesting. And then the other one, which we've been talking about, which is all over TikTok is just where you get the wooden sticks and you wrap a copper coil around it and then you put it in the ground. And then I've seen different ways. It's like the tip will be that pyramidal cone shape spiral, or people will like flare them off in all directions, like antennas. And I, and I'm not sure quite like the science behind it. And this is one of those pseudosciences where they're is some research and there isn't and some major farmers are using it and some are saying it's just bogus but i think regardless if you think it's bogus or not it's fun <laughs> so right. check right. it out check out the before and afters it it looks fun and then it kind of reminded me of micro vibration therapy that goes on in Russia, Ukraine, China, Japan, Korea, and Canada. Maybe this isn't related at all, but I feel like it is. Sleeping on top of bee beds. Have you heard of this? I have. I have. I've seen it because like, I feel like it's really good for you, right? Like that's what I've heard. Like people say that the best place in the world to, to like the most therapeutic place for anyone to like lay down it's on top of a beehive so like they make these beds and these chambers above a beehive so bees obviously aren't in the field where you're sleeping but people will like pay money to go take a 10 minute nap and people who have done it claim that it heals all sorts of physical ailments and makes them feel so alive and that 10 minutes sleeping on top of a beehive is the equivalent of it feels like the equivalent of eight hours of sleep i mean this is anecdotal but that's this is like kind of the thing that people are saying and there's different theories about it. And by the way, eventually I do want to have beehives. It's like a long-term dream of mine. But yeah. some say that it's the micro vibration that the, the the bees themselves from their wings and their activity are are doing something, you know, vibrationally in the air, magnetically that we can't measure. That's enhancing health. Other people say you're breathing clean ionized air, which is ionotherapy because the, the hives have fine mesh made by bees. And so when you breathe that, it's, and also we know hun- honey is antimicrobial. So basically you're breathing in very anti, you know, antibacterial ionized air. And it's what helps reduce free radicals from the lungs. There's that theory. Then there's the aromatherapy idea, which is just that like the smells from the bees themselves, from the, all the beautiful flowers that they've pollinated from, you're breathing that in. Then there's the whole auditory component, which is the humming or the buzzing, which puts you into a trance. So, I mean, the electroculture, magnetic culture, and and bee therapy are are just some unique ways that we can relate and interact with our beautiful world. Yeah, and it really, <laughs> I think it really speaks to the. I I know I've mentioned it on the past, maybe just in 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 passing of the idea of like the physics of quality. 
right? Because we don't have any way to measure quality. Like when you burn, like if you're using like a mass spectrometer, for instance, like when you burn something, you, in order to tell like the different chemical components, you're like, this has this many atoms and this many, you know, this many, this of this much calcium, this much, whatever, this much, whatever. Right. And that's like a very typical way to actually say the components of something. So, you know, if you burn vitamin C or whatever, it's, I say burn, but it, like, if you use like any of these common ways of, of, of what science uses now to determine the chemical makeup of something, it's not looking at the quality of that chemical makeup. So the, it says that vitamin C that's created by a factory is the exact same as that's what's created in say rose hips, for instance. And I think that all the things you're speaking to are the understanding that like there are forces that we don't quite understand um, yet as to how they affect the quality of what we are ingesting in the environments that we're in and the environments that our plants are in. And it's like, it's the same evolution that happened when we went to industrial agriculture, right? Where we were like, hey, fertilizer, you have to have NPK. So sodium, phosphate, potassium, those are the only three things that matter, right? And you just put those on your plants and maybe you might have need some calcium, you might need some iron, but that's it. That's all that matters for plant growth. And then the organic movement was like, hey, guess what? You need organic material in order to actually make the healthiest plants. Like you can't just say it's these three elements that need to go on, right? And so we're just progressing from that place where we recognize that at one point we tried to make it as scientific and basic as possible and didn't take into account like the other really important things like organic material, like or like compost, putting compost into your vegetable garden is going to be much better than just chucking a bunch of like industrialized fertilizer onto it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then kind of related to the whole extinction of bees, this is just really cool. It, it came up on my Instagram and I researched it. So if you are aware, monarchs are going extinct. Those are those beautiful orange and red, black butterflies. If you go to livemonarch.com, they will send you milkweed appropriate to your zone. So you just send, you can either go on there and pay $5 and they'll mail it to you. I did this was super easy. I got it in a couple days, or you can send them a prepaid envelope and I'll put the address in the show notes. And then basically they'll just send you back an envelope with milkweed seeds appropriate for your garden. Because apparently when you buy milkweed, which is the only flower, I guess monarchs eat or one of the only ones they eat that, that like you need to have the right one for your area for them to grow properly. So anyways, you can do that. Yeah. Yep. I did that for a while. And when I lived in New Zealand, it was hilarious because we just got these single monarch plants and we like put them outside and then the monarchs came. And then we had so many caterpillars that they would eat the entire plant. And so we had to keep going and buying more plants. So at one point we had like 10 of these monarch plants and we had, we must've had like 15, 20, 25 chrysalises and like, and it was really great, but then it would just like perpetuate the cycle. So then we just had to keep buying more and more monarch. We just had more and more milkweed plants. It was like a really fun summer. Cause I got to learn all about, like, it was just That's like so beautiful cool. to get to like witness. I didn't realize experience. I knew they went to Mexico. I didn't know they went to New Zealand. I think they have a migration path in New Zealand. I think that there's like, I think that there's cool. different varieties that go and that they, I don't know how they get off of New Zealand. 
<laughs> genuinely like it's really far away from everywhere, but yeah. So yeah, that is, that's that. And I also now want to talk about plants a little bit more because I love plants and I know Anna loves plants now. And I always did. I just was terrified of hurting them before. Well, that maybe that's a more deeper love than I ever had because you were like not willing to, not willing to, to, to risk it. Right. So, <laughs> so, so the first time that I really, I've always been into plants and planting ever since I went traveling ages ago, but even before that, especially when I lived in New Zealand, because when I lived in New Zealand, like the environment is very conducive to growing. It's like, it's a temperate rainforest type of environment. So it's like really easy to grow stuff. And the, it's very volcanic in the place that I live. So like the soil was really amazing and you didn't really need to add anything to it. And I was used to growing things in the Southeast of the United States in which it's just all freaking red clay. Like it's just really, really hard to get any soil fertility at all because it just, the di- it, it literally digests all the leaf matter over a course of a year. It doesn't like build up like it does in Northern climates. When I first met my husband, he had a book called The Secret Life of Plants by Tompkins and Bird. And I read that book and I like have used that book as the representation of my husband's and I's relationship because like it deepened so much when I was reading that book. So I like, I always like associate the two, but I wanted to tell you guys a couple of things. And I know I mentioned it in a previous episode recently, but I kind of wanted to tell you guys some more up-to-date stuff that's been happening with the secret life of plants. And these articles are coming from the Harvard science review, just so you guys know, as well as the, the guardian is the one who did the second interview, which I'm going to talk more about, but in the secret life of plants, There's a lot of criticism from, or there was a lot of criticism from scientists back at the time saying, oh, this is just all pseudoscience. One of the main things that they did and that and what most people associate with that book is talking about Cleve Baxter's work. And what he did was he hooked up polygraph, uh, the polygraph lie detector to the leaves of the plants. And in doing that, he was able to register that they could register intent of people. So basically the idea was that it wasn't when they got burnt by a lighter, like if if a person like the experimenter had a lighter and like put it up to a leaf, it wasn't when they got burnt. It was when the person with the lighter had the intent and the commitment to actually burning the leaf that it registered a response on the polygraph. Other interesting things that happened was Russian scientists, which was not Cleve Baxter, but other Russian scientists did a lot of experiments with the same polygraph where they would put, for instance, something in another room, like a cabbage head in another room. And they would, they would hook that up to a polygraph and they put it in in the room next door. They'd have people cutting cabbage heads and the, and the one in the, that was hooked up that was not getting cut in the other room would register a response because it was it was a damaging of cells that was happening and a cutting of cells that was happening. And some of the things that we've mentioned in the past on the podcast, but the, basically that what they found was the only thing that could counteract this reaction was gratitude, was having gratitude as you cut the plant was the only thing that made it so the plants were okay with the sacrifice that they were making. I say thank you to the end, apologize, even when I'm deadheading my flowers. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And then when I plant them, I tell them, I am so sorry I'm taking you out of this pot, but you're going to be part of a community now and you're, it's going to be a big new world, but you're going to be ready for it. And they're going to all embrace you. And I like try to give it a pep talk before I transplant. You're such a good plant mom. (laughs) 
I, I couldn't, I couldn't thin plants for the longest time. So I would plant a bunch of carrots and that's like kind of how you're supposed to do it. I've actually learned a better way to do it now, but like you're a lot of people like will plant a bunch of carrot seeds because they're super tiny in a row and then they'll thin them. And I could never do that. And because of that, none of them grew well because they were too oh, crowded. When I thin them, I transplant them. I kind of take them and move them and then half them don't survive, but right. I just kind of move them when I thin them. Cause I can't just kill them. Yeah. Yeah. And then no, when it's... I do kill them, I'm like, I'm learning guys. I'm so sorry. I'm learning. Yeah. This death will not be in vain. I will tell them that. The the way that I learned to do that is basically get a huge roll, long roll of like of toilet paper. Even you could do toilet paper or or some sort of paper towel, and you basically you space out and you and you like turn it over and you wet it and then you put it in the soil so like it's already spaced out and it's like a it's like a planting tape. Anyway, so we we could talk about gardening forever, guys, but we're gonna get. <laughs> get into that. So that was some of the original things that were in that book. There were a lot of really amazing things. The first time I learned about radionics and then I went off into my own little experimentation world and I like learned how to solder and learn how to do electrical circuits and things like that. And I made my own radionics machine, which is funny because the guy who like pioneered it lives in Georgia and actually go is from a town called Lakemont, Georgia, which is incredibly close to a place that Anna goes all the time. And I was like, what is literally yeah. like a four building town and we're so passing crazy. it all the time. And it's yeah. like literally the, like the home of this guy, Hieronymus, who was, who did a lot of the pioneering of radionics in the early days. But I wanted to talk specifically about a man named Stefano Mancuso, who has a laboratory at the University of Florence, or Firenze, and he started his lab back in 2005, and he is a plant neurobiologist. And back in 2005, being a plant neurobiologist was just a totally laughable concept. And, you know, they were interested in problems when they established that lab that were completely related to animals, like intelligence and behavior. And it had nothing to do with plants. Like back then everyone was like, plant behavior, what the fuck are you talking about? Like that doesn't make any sense or plant intelligence, like that doesn't make any sense. But here are a couple of examples of experiments that have been done that prove that plants are like in a more, in a, what I would call a less pseudoscience, even though I would argue that it's not pseudoscience, it's just yet to be discovered or yet to be understood. Cause a lot of the, the, the studies that were in that book were peer reviewed. So here's an example. If you let a drop of water fall on mimosa pudica, it's knee jerk response is to recoil its leaves, right? So if you guys have ever, um, they, they have them in Georgia where like, if you, if you run your finger along the plant, it will immediately contract almost like it's a Venus fly, fly trap, but it's just because it's super sensitive to touch, right? It's a, it's trying to like protect its leaves. So the thing is, is that when you drop water onto it, it will, will recoil its leaves. But if you continue doing so, the plant will quickly cotton on to the fact that water is harmless. And so it will stop reacting. The plant can hold this knowledge for weeks, even when the living conditions such as lighting are changed. And so that was really unexpected because everyone thinks that, you know, like goldfish, they have short-term memories, maybe one or two days. The average memory of insects is one or two days, but plants are able to memorize for two months up to two months at a time and recognize that the stimulus was something that they had experienced before and not react to it in the same way again, even when the lighting and everything else was changed. 
another thing that's really interesting is the concept that plants, like the definition of a vegetative state is that it's incommunicative and insensitive, which is the farthest thing from the truth when it comes to plants. He says, Mancuso says that plants are far more sensitive than animals. And he's like, and he's like, this isn't an opinion. This is based on thousands of pieces of evidence. They know that a single root apex, so basically a single plant, is able to detect at least 20 different chemicals and physical parameters, many of which we are completely blind to, right? So they're able to, you know, it, he, he jokes that, you know, there could be like a ton of cobalt and nickel underneath our feet. And as humans, we have no idea that that's the case, but the plants can sense a few milligrams in a huge amount of soil. If, if it's cobalt or nickel, like they can sense things like well beyond the parameters of their physical their physical boundaries. And I would argue that we can too. And that was actually one of the original arguments of Tompkins and Bird was that was that it's a primal perception. And because we have so many other perceptions on top of it, we have lost touch with that primal perception. Right. But if we were to like go back to that state, we would actually have the same ability and sensitivity as plants. One of the other controversial aspects of Mancuso's work in particular is about plant consciousness, because it is about awareness right? Like if we wanted to, to say that consciousness is the awareness of yourself and traditionally the, the test that's been done is, you know, you put a mirror in front of an animal and there's only like five animals that can, that can actually recognize their own reflection. So like elephants, dolphins, and different types of, of apes can do this, but there's a lot to be said for the fact that plants have this ability to, and the evidence, some of the evidence, for instance, for this is that they are, that plants are perfectly aware of themselves. And a simple example is that when a plant overshadows another plant, the shaded plant will grow faster to reach the light. But when you look at the crown of a tree, all the shoots are heavily, like when all the shoots are heavily shaded within the crown of a tree, but they don't grow fast because they know that they are shaded by a part of themselves. Right. So they have an image of themselves from the outside. Wow. They understand what parts of themselves they don't, they don't try and outgrow each other when they're on the same plant. Right. Isn't but they do crazy? recognize it when it's another plant. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing when you do that. And then, and then in terms of not being silent and passive, not being in that quote unquote vegetative state, plants are incredibly social and incredibly communicative above ground and beneath. Above ground, a lot of the times what they're doing is they are communicating in gaseous ways, like they're basically letting off gashes and smells and things like that. And in the roots, they're connecting their roots and they're connecting through fungal networks. They are adept at, at detecting subtle electromagnetic fields generated by other life forms. So for instance, they use chemicals and scents to warn each other of danger and deter predators. So for instance, like if a predator is coming for instance, a, some sort of aphid, right? So some sort of a plant that's supposed to like, like if one plant in the chain at the beginning of a chain of like 10 plants is starts getting attacked by aphids, if they're connected in the ground and if they're in the same soil substrate, the one at the last ones, all the last ones will start to, to basically send out and emit a distress signal that is a chemical distress signal that will then lure in parasitic wasps that are supposed to then kill either the caterpillar or the aphids of whatever predator has come onto the plant. And it's like an immediate thing, right? Like, and, and it's basically, if it shares the same soil substrate, especially if it has like fungi that's attaching them, then it's, it's completely capable of communicating with everything else. It reminded me, I haven't seen it. So 
but my my neighbor was watching Fantastic. I think it's and it's very similar to that Avatar movie where there's like a whole net like fungi or fungi. It makes a whole network where they communicate between trees and plants and exactly. Exactly. It's, it's even a bank system. I think they call it like the bank system because what will happen is the, the fungi can, can break down stones to get minerals. Right. And so that's like the bank. And so when the tree needs a mineral, it will go to the fungi and request a mineral. And in exchange, the tree will give the fungi sugars. So it's literally like a bank. Like it's like this whole, and then, and then not only that, but like fungi underground will create this whole network in which if there's one, if there's like a forest fire in one area, if there's something like that, like it will emit signals that will like, or if there's a disease trees on one end of the forest, then everybody will send through signals in order to be able to restore that tree. Or if they recognize that a tree needs to be felled because other trees aren't able to grow in the same way, it will, it will, they will purposely kill certain trees in order to keep the community healthy. Damn. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. The interesting thing too is that plants also respond to sound. They are extremely good at detecting specific kinds of sound, for example, 200 or 300 hertz because they are seeking the sound of running water. If you put a source of 200 hertz sound close to the roots of the plant, they will follow it. And there's no evidence that the human voice benefits plants, although talking to, although talking to plants may soothe the humans doing it. But it's interesting because there's that we know there's all sorts of stuff with intent, and we know that there's all sorts of kind of interactions that happen in that way. And they're they don't have ears, they don't have eyes. And I could go, I literally talk for hours about like how plants will mimic other plants that they can't see, that they aren't attached to, that they aren't even in the same soil straight substrate. Well, like they will be able to mimic there are plants, especially in South America and the rainforest that will mimic other plants with no way of actually being able to see the other plant. So it's really fascinating. And one of the things that, you know, one of the kind of reflections of this in this particular article was talking about how we tend to organize our, our societies based on biological systems of our own biological system, right? Like they're very centralized. They have a heart and they have a brain and they only have one, right? And so you'll have like a government system that has a brain and maybe it has a heart. And it's like very, like all a lot of our political systems, a lot of our organizations and human society are based off of mimicking our own biology, right? Top level control centers with then specific functions like there's a circulatory system and then there's a, you know, a nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. And interestingly, one of the things that they talk about is that plants by contrast, are kind of horizontal, diffusive, decentralized organizations that are much more in line with modernity. So the internet, for example, is the ultimate decentralized root system, right? And then you look at the ability of like, you know, anything, like they use the example of Wikipedia to produce like good quality information that's arguable, but good quality information using a decentralized, diffused organization. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting things along those lines. And um, Stefano Macuso has a book called The Incredible Journey of Plants, which you can look at if you're interested more in the more kind of up-to-date version of this. And then the last thing I want to say is that I am about to go to Costa Rica and I'm going to do a plant journey while I'm there and use plant medicine. And you know, one of the things about plant medicine, I know y'all probably know, and I didn't say a lot about it necessarily about going on a ketamine journey. One of the things I found about my ketamine journey was that by the time I was done with it, I could not take the medicine anymore. 
I, it was so bitter and it was like my, it was just like, I literally was almost gagging the whole time I was trying to take it. And I'm not saying that that's like a, a normal thing, but I surmise that to say the, I, the, the medicine wasn't ready for me. Like the medicine wasn't what I needed. It like, wasn't what I needed at that time. And I'm kind of coming to this place where I'm ready to go into like a different space, which is where I'm going to Costa Rica to kind of go on this journey to use a different plant medicine and to use an actual plant medicine as opposed to something that was created in a factory. So I'm really interested in how this is going to go because I really believe in the spirit of the plant and the the plant and what it lends to you. And interestingly enough with this particular plant medicine, it's known that like, as soon as you make the decision to use this plant medicine, it will start working in your life which is not something that you necessarily say for something like ketamine, right? <laughs> so I will keep you guys apprised of what goes on with that. I feel very honored and privileged to be able to kind of go into that space where I'm going to be looking into using this plant medicine. And I am a little bit nervous for some reason, but I think that's maybe because the last little parts of me that have been quite stubborn know that maybe they're going to be integrated. I'm excited too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks y'all. Thank you. So follow up. Anna has tried electroculture and she is already finding remarkable results. And we have put the pictures of the differences that she's seen in just a couple of days in the show notes. So go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com to see some of those pictures, or you can link through the show notes in any of your podcast apps that you were using. Also, while you're at it, if you're hanging around in apps, why don't you give us a review? We would love it and it helps people find us. Thanks. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilsey.com forward slash discover.